This is Dr. Kara Shepard, and you're listening to Goat Talk with the Goat Doc. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Goat Talk with a Goat Doc. This is episode 12, and this is going to be breeding basics about goats. Um, so I'm going to talk a little bit about goat reproductive physiology and behavior of goats during their breeding cycles and... Uh, broader overview beginning of like why should we be thinking about breeding goats in the first place so we'll get into that in just a moment uh thanks everybody again for listening if you have any questions or comments at any time please feel free to email me at goat.cara at gmail.com g-o-a-t-d-o-c-c-a-r-a at gmail.com or you can click the contact tab on the website goatdoc.com it's a little funny to be here in my house recording at my computer right now. My dogs are thrashing around in the background, but I don't think you'll be able to hear it. Um, so, like I said previously when I talked about this episode, I have some notes. And um, it's reproduction in goats is like a big, a, a, a really broad topic to talk about. So... Um, if you are experienced with breeding goats, this may be some of this may be a little bit basic for you, but I'm going to try to talk a little bit about more of the, the sciencey stuff, the physiology and the hormones involved and why certain things happen certain ways. So maybe you'll learn something. Um, and if you are completely new to breeding goats, it's going to be um, hopefully a lot, some helpful information. As always, this podcast is provided with that intent to educate and inform. It is not a substitute for professional medical advice or veterinary care provided by your primary veterinarian. And I strongly encourage you to establish and maintain a current and valid VCPR veterinary client patient relationship with your local vet. Okay, so to get into breeding and reproductive physiology of goats. Uh, this is going to largely focus on the doe uh, because the breeding timing for goats is largely dictated by the doe's behavior. And if you are in North America or the Northern Hemisphere and you are anywhere kind of somewhat distant from the equator at this time of year, the daylight hours are starting to shorten. And if, if you're more responsible than me, you have a breeding plan for your does and you know who's going to be bred for the spring and who's not and who, you know, what the plan is there. I think I said in another episode, I'm totally procrastinating on my breeding plan this year and I need to get on it. But I'm going to talk about what uh what all is happening right now as the as the daylight hours shift and uh, our does start to exhibit different behavior before i get into that 
I'm, I'm going to take a second, and this applies to all species of animals. Um, I think it's important, and I think sometimes people tend to get caught up in the excitement of making baby animals that because they're real cute and fun and bouncy, um, but they're also a lot of work, and we tend to forget that sometimes in the moment. But uh, it's important to think about goals for breeding when you're when you're breeding animals. I think it's important to remember that whether it's a dog or a cat or a goat or a horse or any other species that humans control their reproduction in some way or facilitate reproduction and bringing more animals into life and onto the planet, like there's a responsibility associated with that. Um, you know, you're making more animals and then you're responsible for their care. And I think another important responsibility to consider is why, why are you doing it? Um, what, what is the purpose of that animal? Uh, I like to think about basically my, my kind of phrase is to build a better goat. And for, I mean, for when we started breeding goats, my husband and I, we, we kind of had that in the back of our, our heads. And I mean, we're totally probably guilty of not really having a plan or an overarching goal with breeding goats. Aside from that, we needed milk to make cheese. And then that was the driving force behind us. So we were looking for milk production and animals that stand up over the test of time and multiple lactations and continue to remain to be productive animals for their whole lifetime. And I think overall, we've been pretty successful in that. We have does in our herd, in our milking herd this year, who... Let's see, they're like eight or nine years old this year and we still breed them and they still freshen and they are some of the does that are the hardest to dry off because they want to make milk. And so they're doing their job really well. So we're, we're building, building those goats to do that. And it, I think it's important to think about what is the goal for, for the animals that are being bred. I think a lot of times, like I said, people get caught up. They're like, Ooh, I just want babies. And you know, what, what's going to happen when the babies come? Are you going to be showing your animals? Are you raising animals for meat? Are you raising animals for dairy and milk production? What, what's the, what's the end goal? Um, there's a, there's a lot of, uh, a lot of animals out there. And I think as, as breeders of animals, we should try to be responsible about what we're making and what we're doing with them. And like I said, trying to build a better goat. Uh, so I'll get off my soapbox a little bit about that now and get a little bit more into the sciencey nuts and bolts, basic what's happening, why it's happening of goat reproduction. So as I started to say, uh, this time of year in the Northern Hemisphere, I, I'm in New England, so the days are starting to get shorter. And what is happening with my does is that I'm expecting them to start to cycle in heat pretty much any day now. Uh, the, the shortening of the daylight hours signals uh, different things to happen hormonally uh, between 
different glands in the brain largely. And I'll talk about that in just a minute. Another thing to think about with like, when are these doughs going to start to come in heat is uh, other environmental factors can play a role too. Like for us in Maine, we've had a particularly hot and humid summer and we just are coming off the end of like another few days of 90 plus degree ridiculous humidity, 100 degree Fahrenheit plus heat index. So that certainly slows down the impulse of these does to start to go into their heat cycle. Um, I don't. I think we probably don't know exactly as well what's happening there as as opposed to like what's happening with the the daylight hours and the different hormones, but um, the the hormones that are stimulated by the the shortening of the daylight hours. And I mean, we may someday, but. Um, it seems to be an influencing factor. I've definitely had does in mid-August start to cycle. Um, I think my husband texted me one day that somebody was in heat so far this fall, but um, well, so I'm sure we'll start to have a slew of them soon. So what's happening there in the with those does or your does or where wherever you may be, um, as the daylight hours shorten, there are receptors in the eyes that are uh, sensitive to the amount of daylight that is received. Uh, that information is transmitted to the brain um, and the pineal gland, and the pineal gland is responsible for making melatonin. Um, and you may know melatonin, like people take it as a supplement to go to sleep. It has to do with like circadian rhythms and hours of daylight and all of that stuff. So um, the increase of melatonin, systemic circulating melatonin from the pineal gland, stimulates the anterior pituitary. So that is part of the brain. Um, and it makes a whole bunch of different hormones. And I wish... I had, I had like a drawing of this from vet school. I had a drawing of the anterior pituitary and the brain and all of the different endocrine glands and organs at drawn out. And I wish I knew, I don't know if I threw it out or what I did with it, but maybe I can find it and I can take a picture and post it in the show notes because I'm a very visual person and that is super helpful for me. But anyway... Um, GnRH is gonadotropin releasing hormone. Um, it's something that it's a it's a hormone that cascades to other hormones. So you've got melatonin stimulating the anterior pituitary to release GnRH. Um, GnRH is available as a synthetic uh, injection, which can be used to sink does or use or cows um, if you want to manipulate their reproductive reproductive cycles, but I'm not going to talk about that in this episode. Um, the anterior pituitary makes endogenous GnRH. Um, so that release of that hormone then stimulates the release of FSH and LH. So FSH is follicle stimulating hormone and LH is luteinizing hormone. So, follow, I mean, to some extent, hormones are kind of nice because they just say what they do. Um, Follicle-stimulating hormone stimulates follicles to develop in the um, in the ovaries. So, 
uh, follicles are the develop like the preparation and like preparation for ovulation of of the eggs. Uh, a follicle has to go through this this wave process. We'll say a follicular wave, and that is also part of the of the estrus cycle. And um, when that follicle is mature, it may ovulate. Uh, so release its its ova in order to go and possibly be fertilized. Uh, FSH also stimulates uh, the production of estrogen and which stimulates estrus behavior. Uh, so then, so this whole, I'm going to kind of recap that whole cascade again, like really quick. You've got the daylight hour shortening, and then that is telling the pineal gland from the eyes that that's being, that information is received by the eyes, tells the pineal gland, oh, hey, the daylight hours are getting shortener, shortened, makes a melatonin. Melatonin is, stim, you know, released and from the pineal gland and it goes into circulation, which then eventually hits the anterior pituitary, which is the gland in the brain, which releases GnRH, gonadotropin releasing hormone. So that stimulates follicle stimulate follicle stimulating hormone FSH and luteinizing hormone LH. Luteinizing hormone is a little bit different um, from follicle stimulating hormone in that it also needs. Um, estrogen to be to we, we have what we call like a, a a peak an LH peak in the estrus cycle and estrogen needs to be at a certain level in order for that to um, happen and there's also some nice diagrams out there of what all these hormones what all these hormones are doing at different times of the goat estrus cycle and I'll post some of those in the show notes. This whole thing happening with all of these reproductive hormones, uh, like I said, it is kind of initiated in the fall, or if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, do you, I, I don't know, do you call it the fall and it's just different months in the Southern Hemisphere? Just email me and tell me. <laughs> um, what, whenever your daylight hours are shortening, the these these cycles are turned on by these hormones, but uh, the the then they happen cyclically for until the, either the daylight hours start to lengthen again or until the animal is bred. So the um, then you're looking at the estrus cycle, which in goats and sheep is 21 days, so about three weeks. Um, can be a little bit longer, can be a little bit shorter. Nothing in biology is ever 100%. In my experience, uh, goats tend to be pretty good on the money right around 21 days. The there these these different hormones that I just talked about are doing different things during that time and the the cycle is basically because these the the ova and the follicles are preparing for ovulation like that's that's the event the the eggs have to be released from the ovaries and hopefully travel down the the into the uterus and meet a sperm and be ovulated 
Um, there's that delay there because the body needs time to determine whether or not there's actually a pregnancy. And there's different different signaling things that happen that I'm not really going to get into um, to, for for the body to recognize a pregnancy and then be like, oh, okay, we're not going to have another estrous cycle. We're not going to ovulate more eggs because this one's in there and it's going and we're going to protect that pregnancy and maintain it until that is a baby that's ready to come out. If there is not a successful pregnancy, if there's not a buck around or you're doing AI and the timing wasn't quite right or whatever the reason that in a particular ovulation there's not a successful pregnancy, uh, the the body will try to go ahead and try again to see if it can be pregnant. Uh the sheep and goats are seasonal breeders. You know, we've talked all about this, like shortening of daylight hours and melatonin release. And like, why, why is that a thing for these animals? And it's kind of similar to deer. Uh, they have a similar seasonal breeding cycle. And if you think about it, it's uh, pretty logical because these animals then, have a five-month gestation, and then they would be having their babies in the spring as they're going into the season where it's easier to, uh, there's more food available, it's easier to grow a baby from birth to sexual maturity in the fall, and the goal of pretty much any organism is to make more of itself. So if you have a good stretch you have your, your pregnancy through the winter you maintain that and then weather starts to get better it's warmer daylight hours are longer it's easier to eat it's easier to feed it's easier for these babies to grow with the availability of feed then that that's going to be a more successful breeding strategy for for these species and I'll I'll post a picture of the one of these diagrams of like what these hormones are all doing at different times. I think it's helpful to understand. Uh, so if you're you're going along, you don't know like right now. Like I said, I don't know when these does are going to start to cycle. They're they're maintaining along in uh, technically, I guess it's it's anestrous when it's the seasonal period of no estrus cycles. And they're, they're going along until the body is signaled enough with melatonin and other outside factors to say, okay, it's time to start trying to make a baby. And then we'll see estrus behavior. So I mentioned that follicle-stimulating hormone, so we have that whole cascade, and one of the things that is triggered in that cascade is follicle-stimulating hormone, which is going to stimulate estrogen. Um, and estrogen is going to be one of the things that, like pretty much the major thing that drives estrus behavior. And this can be a big question for people who are new to breeding goats is like, how do I know when this doe is in heat? Because that can be a logistical thing. Uh, if you're If you're new to goats or if you're not keeping a buck and you need to take your doe to a hot date with the buck... How, you know, how do you know when to do that? 
And it can be it can be very easy to tell with some does and it can be not so easy to tell with other does. But whatever their estrus behavior is, their heat behavior, it is largely triggered by estrogen. Um, so that's going to trigger, increasing estrogen is going to trigger those behaviors of standing heat where in my animals, yeah, I've got like the whole spectrum. I've got from <laughs> does that will literally climb the gates at the front of the barn and just scream their heads off until they get to go in with a buck to other does that will just kind of stand there and, and look at you a little different. Some typical estrus behavior cues for for humans if you're looking for this uh, can be vocalizing Uh, some breeds tend to be more vocal than others and some individuals tend to be more vocal than others my husband and i have definitely woken up in the morning because oh look someone's in heat now and she's there she is screaming her head off (laughs) come and then you know some of them are more subtle If you have bucks on your property, it is definitely easier to tell. Most most does are going to be somewhere in that middle range where they're not going to be super subtle about it. They're not going to be super obnoxious about it, but somewhere in the middle. Things you can look for, vocalizing, uh, acting more like antsy than usual. Uh, can look for like bucky behavior too. I've got some does that'll start fighting with each other more, uh, start mounting each other. And that can be a signal that either they're coming into heat or soon, soon things are going to start to change. So I have started to see that behavior in my does. Everybody's getting a little, a little antsy the, the past few weeks. I can see flagging the tail. So that's basically like wagging the tail a whole lot. Um, more than normal and sometimes can see a little bit of moisture like vaginal discharge on the tail the little feathers of the tail if they're not clipped short you may notice that a little bit more uh, than normal because uh, the the mucus changes inside the vagina in order to facilitate the sperm to get to where they need to be uh, talking I'll, I'll probably do an episode about like manipulating reproductive cycles and artificial insemination but uh, looking at that mucus like the presence of it the absence of it what it looks like can be a helpful tool to or helpful cue I guess is a better word to know when these animals are cycling and where they are uh, in their heat cycle so from a physiology standpoint, uh, you've, you've now you've got your doe. She's had all this re- this hormonal physiology stuff happen with these hormones, and her estrogen has spiked up, and she has estrus behavior. She has standing heat behavior, and either semen is introduced or semen is not introduced. So one of those two things happens, and Ultimately, like right away, the same thing happens, uh, and that will be that there, the luteinizing hormone, which is stimulated by a certain level of estrogen. So when you look at this little graph here, you can see estrogen starts to 
rapidly increase, which is followed by a similar rapid increase in luteinizing hormone. And that stimulates ovulation and uh, the formation of what's called a CL. And a CL is a corpus luteum. And a corpus luteum in goats and sheep, cows, sheep for a, a certain period of time. Um, definitely goats, the corpus luteum is like the vital structure that maintains the pregnancy. Uh, does are a CL dependent species and there's different species that are completely dependent on the corpus luteum to produce progesterone to maintain the, the pregnancy. So, uh, that LHP happens, standing heat ends, the ovulation happens and where that follicle came out of the ovary, uh, there, the, the corpus luteum forms. And it starts to produce progesterone. And it does that right away, whether or not semen, sperm has, has been introduced, whether or not there is a possibility of a pregnancy happening, because the reproductive system doesn't know. Like, is, is there a chance that there could be a pregnancy? Maybe. So the, the CL forms there. And it makes progesterone for a while. And then this is what's like the metaestrus cycle part or portion of the estrus cycle. And the, so that's when the dough is not in heat. But if she either had a, you know, like I said, like an unsuccessful AI or wasn't introduced to the buck, then she won't be in heat for another roughly 21 days. And uh, that's how long it takes the body to say, okay, yes, we're pregnant, or okay, no, we're not pregnant, so we got to get ready to do this whole estrus cycle thing again in order to try to get pregnant. The estrus cycle in goats, which I don't think I said yet, what the, what the term for goats being like seasonal... Uh, seasonal breeders is seasonal polyesterous. So that means that they only have their estrus cycle in a certain season, which starts in the fall when the daylight hours shorten. And polyesterous means that they have more than one cycle. So they're, they're going to keep doing that estrus cycle until either they're pregnant or they go back to time passes enough that melatonin decreases enough to decrease the stimulation of the GnRH and decrease the stimulation of the FSH and the LH, and then they kind of go back to their quiescent uh, anestrous phase of several months. Some breeds of goats tend seem to be more or less seasonal, or like wanting to breed more or less seasonally. Uh, in my experience, the, the Nubians, which is what I raise, tend to be pretty seasonal. They tend to start to cycle in maybe late August, early September, and then continue until maybe I've bred animals as late as February without any, you know, trying to manipulate their cycles at all. And you can talk about, you can talk, like I said, I'll have another episode about messing around with that stuff. Uh, Nigerian dwarf goats seem to be more amenable to off-season breeding without a lot of reproductive manipulation, for whatever reason. They seem to 
you know, be easier to breed for like fall babies, for example, which uh, for whatever reason, their, their GNRH levels are less influenced by the amount of melatonin or that whatever, whatever's happening with them, they tend to just cycle a little bit more readily year round. Cows, for example, just cycle all year round. And that's why cow dairies have, uh, have calves born pretty much any month of the year and they milk year round. So that was kind of a lot of physiology and talking about like why certain things happen and what's happening there. Some of the like more practical things I've I've touched on a little bit and I'll talk about a little bit more for a few minutes are just like the practicalities of getting things done. Uh, the if like I mentioned, if you don't have a buck on the premises, it can be a challenge to know when your does are in heat. Some are more quiet about it than others. Uh, first timers, first first time breeding does tend to be a little bit more quiet about it, I think, than uh, the seasoned professionals. And it may be a little bit more of a guessing game. Some things you can do to try to help determine whether they're in heat, besides looking for the behaviors that I mentioned before, the vocalizing, the flagging, the acting a little bit more obnoxious than normal. Um, If you can get a buck rag, so that's like if you have a friend with a buck that you know is a healthy buck or you have a buck that you're going to plan to be breeding to that you know is a a healthy disease-free animal and you can take an old t-shirt or just an old rag and go over to where he lives and rub it all over him he will have perfumed himself most likely with uh, some lovely stinky urine and other musky buck smells, which aren't so great to us, but the ladies seem to, the goat ladies seem to really like it. Um, So you can really kind of get that scent on a rag and then put it in a Ziploc bag or like a jar or something to contain the smell and then present it to your does. And sometimes that can be a good indication if they're really, really interested in that, then, uh, They may be in heat or coming into heat. Uh, And if you've got a doe that you're like, okay, here she is screaming her head off and you're going to take her to to meet her boyfriend, uh, there's some logistical stuff involved there too. In my experience, all of this is harder with, with young does, with does who don't know what's going on and are, you know, they're first timers. They're a little nervous. Uh, they're whisked away from their normal home if they're going to be bred somewhere and they, you know, here's a, here's a big animal that's covered in urine and flapping his gums and maybe being kind of obnoxious. And sometimes that can be intimidating for them. Uh, some things to think about just the, the physics of the whole thing. If you have a small doe, a smaller doe who's young and then you're going to try to breed her to a very a mature buck like there's a big there's a big size range there and he could squish her basically to to put it very bluntly uh my my dolings that I'll breed for 
first freshening yearlings, like I want them to be at least 80, 90. It's great if they're pushing 100 pounds by for their first breeding. Um, but my bucks can be pushing like 300 pounds, my, my older, mature, fully grown Nubian bucks. And like, that's, that's a big animal to try to be holding up if you're a 85, you know, 90 pounds, like think of like an eight, an 85 to 90 pound person. That's probably a younger person. And then think of like a 300 pound person or even like a 200 pound person. And that, that 200 pound person is going to jump on the 90 pound person, not fully, but like put a lot of their weight on them. And that's especially the first time these does have no idea what's going on. And that can be uh, challenging. So sometimes having uh, smaller does be bred to younger bucks can be easier. And young bucks can absolutely get the job done. There's, uh, I can talk about about the, the repro aspect, more focusing on the buck in another episode. Uh, so that can, that can be a challenge. In my experience, the does that have have done this before they know they know what's up i've driven them to a buck that i wanted them bred to and they get out and they know what's up and they do the deed and we go home (laughs) so that's that's pretty easy and straightforward then so after the after the deed is done then it's basically time to wait and you're in that metastrous period uh if you got your timing right if you you know the the estrogen was going up then the lh was going up and you had an ovulation and the egg traveled down the the into the uterus and met up with some sperm and was fertilized that where that egg came out is going to have a cl which is going to be producing progesterone until that um, embryo is implanted in the the uterus, which is going to be signaling to the to the rest of the reproductive system there to to the CL say, oh hey, here I am, keep making progesterone so I continue to live. And if and if that happens, then progesterone inhibits that whole thing that I talked about with uh, FSH and LH, all that stuff, then is stopped. So estrous behavior doesn't happen uh, if there is a pregnancy being maintained. Uh, the progesterone levels stay high. If that doesn't happen, then the whole thing starts again. The CL goes away. And the body prepares for another another cycle and to spit out some more eggs, to ovulate some more eggs in the hopes of making an embryo. And you really don't know that until you wait at least the 21 days, the first inkling you're going to have uh, that your doe is in fact pregnant is three weeks after she's bred. If she comes back into heat, she's not bred. If she doesn't come back into heat, she might be bred. So what I do with those does, especially if it's like an AI breeding or something like that that I'm excited about, I just watch them 
And we get to that three weeks, my husband and I are both just watching them and hoping that they don't come back into heat. And then we get to about 28 or 30 days, and then I'll pull out the ultrasound and look for a baby. And then if we see one, great. If we don't, then we're going to be looking for that next heat cycle to try again. So I think that kind of wraps it up for this this episode. Um, It's kind of a little bit heavy on the physiology, but I hope that there was some useful, practical information in there too. If you have any questions or comments, as always, please feel free to email me, goatdoccara at gmail.com or contact me through the website, goatdoc.com. And you can find me on the Instagram at goat underscore doc. If you have a second and you can rate and review on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, that would be much appreciated. And we'll talk to you next time. Meh. <laughs>